Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. to our series today. And again, the goal of the entire series, I read it every week, but it's found right in the first few verses of the Song of Songs. And as we read through the, uh, this book, there is, there's a color code to it. And just so you understand what's up here on the screen, when you see letters in green, it is his beloved or his, the, the female that voice that speaks. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the green is the female. And then when you see blue, it's Solomon. And then when you see pink, it's this group of women that sing back to her. But this week, there's also this additional group. They'll just appear in black letters. It's her brothers that actually talk, and they are found in the last chapter that we're going to be exploring. So uh, you'll see those color-coded up there. But the the chapter begins, or the verse, uh, the whole book begins, Solomon's Song of Songs. So this is essentially his greatest hit. He wrote over a 1,000 songs, and this is his best one. And it says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Now this is all very poetic, but what is she saying? She's saying, I love the way that you love me. In fact, I'm so enthralled with it that that it's made me be a different person. It's made me a better person because of the way that you have loved me. In fact, she says that his love is like perfume poured out. In other words, everybody can smell it. If you ever dump out, knock over a bottle of perfume, it begins to fill the room. And so she's comparing his love for her in that way, saying everybody can see it. In fact, she says everybody sees it and everybody wants to be with you. And so that's the goal of this series, that we as a church would learn in our relationships to love each other in such a God-honoring way that we would become the shiny. We would become something that people look at and say, I want to have that kind of relationship. That is how people ought to love each other. And so that's been the the overarching goal of the entire series. And of course, uh, we've been following this particular love relationship from the beginning. The first week we looked at the, the uh, rules of attraction, the art of attraction, what initially drew them together. The following week we studied how to date in a godly way. And even though we all looked at it and said, man, this is a little strange, God's way is oftentimes strange. But it's always the best way. And so that was week two. Week three, we fast forwarded to the honeymoon night and we explored what great sex looks like in a God-honoring way and a, and a way to, to do that. And so uh, week four was they had their first fight and we explored how to fight for our relationships and not in our relationships. And then the, the last week, we talked about how to have a deeper, mature love and what it took to have that kind of maturity in your relationship. And so if you missed any of those, I want to encourage you that all of the messages are found on our website at mysimplechurch.com. Click on media. Everything is there. You can get caught up with us. As, as a young lady texted me the week before and said, hey, I'm listening to them. I binged. I listened to every single one of them while I was at work. Great. You can do that too. So just uh, dive in on them. There'll be a blessing to you. And I promise you, if you'll apply the principles that we're talking about in them, it will change your life. So today we're going to wrap up this series uh, with uh, one simple word that I believe is missing in today's culture. It is something that would radically change all of your relationships, not just your marriage, if you were to embrace it. And that one word is commitment. It's commitment. 
In today's culture, if you think about it, we build our lives around our out, don't we? Everything that we do, from our cell phone bills uh, to, to events that we go to and our relationships, we build them with an out. We say, what, how do I get out of this if this happens? We, we want to know the way out. Uh, I, I, many of you don't know this about me, but I'm actually an introvert. I'm very, like, I'm, I like to be by myself. I, I am naturally that way. It's, it's against my tendencies to go out and be with a bunch of people, but I make myself go quite often. But every time I go out, anytime I go to an event, people are like, you want a carpool? And I'm like, no, nah, I'll drive. Because if I drive, then whenever it gets uncomfortable for me, whenever it gets a little difficult for me to be in the room with a group of people or I'm feeling overwhelmed, I know my out is I can get in my car and go. Or if I ride with you someplace and I don't have a way to escape, I will find a mini escape within that place. Most of the time, it's the bathroom. Why are you in there so long, DeLong? What are you doing? It's my out. We are constantly looking for an out. And you're all, you, you all aren't much different than me. This idea of escape is a way to protect yourself. And I understand in, in business environments, like if you're doing contracts with people, it's wise to know what your outs are and what your loopholes are. So that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is, is if you bring that culture into your marriage relationships, or any relationship for that matter, that it's extremely toxic. It's extremely toxic. And I don't believe that you can even experience the best human love if you don't understand the principle of commitment. So here's why. Because the definition of commitment is that I'm willing to stick around when things get difficult. I'm willing to stay when things are unhealthy in order to work it out. When I'm unhappy, I'm willing to tough it out. That's what commitment causes you to do. And commitment isn't needed when things are great. If you think about that, you're not worried about commitment when things are hunky-dory, right? It's when things get difficult that commitment is challenged in your life. And God has called us to a level of commitment in our relationships that the world doesn't understand nor has it embraced. Even in the 1970s, we've seen this kind of developing in our culture because we came up with something called no-fault divorce, right? People have have said, hey, I've, I've got these rights. If you do this to me, then I should be able to get out of the relationship because you've done this. We're essentially saying to this, if you do this, I'm out. And the result of this kind of thinking is relationships that are built on condition, not covenant or commitment. So we're looking for the out in our relationships, and we hold reasons that we get to protect ourselves, and it's toxic for our marriages. Now, before we go further, just in case you haven't, haven't uh, been here or heard uh, any of this series yet, there are a few rules, because I'm well aware, not because of, I'm pointing anybody out in particular, but statistically, there are people in this room that have messed their marriages up. You've either been in a marriage that has failed, or your current marriage is strugg- struggling. Statistically, this whole till death do you part thing, you're struggling with it. It's difficult for you. And I know there's a whole bunch of people in here that, that are, are dealing with that, and maybe you've walked away from relationships, but remember one of the rules of this series was that the past is in the past. That Jesus takes care of that. God has made a way and he has dealt with that. If you are a Christ follower, what you've done in the past doesn't matter. In fact, it doesn't matter how messy it is now and the the circumstances that you are dealing with now as a result of the mistakes you have made, God is with you and God will walk with you through it. What we are concerned about is going forward. So if you have two marriages that that you have divorced, you've been divorced twice, let's just not make it a third time, Amen. So let's work on that. We can, we can follow that. And so, you know, you, and, and all these things that we're going to talk to you about are really, really difficult to do without God in your life. So let me just say this, that if God is not in your life, I will help you with that at the end of the service. Just stay tuned, okay? 
All right, so I believe that even in the midst of those consequences of the mistakes from your past, that you can still have God's best now and that he'll walk with you through those painful things. So let me ask you, what would it be like to really be committed in a marriage? What would it be like to really be committed to maybe even just a local church? To put your roots down and say, this is where I'm going to be at, for better or for worse. That that no matter what comes, this is where I'm going to be, and I'm going to work hard to make it work. What would it be like if we were committed even to a company? I would say, in this job market, it's a free market. We can come and go wherever we want. And so we've created this culture of, well, I'm committed to you as long as you do the right things at a job, right? But what if we were committed to a career that God put us in because he has purpose for us there, no matter how difficult it is? There's a blessing. There's something he wants to work in us. What if we were committed people? It brings out the best in human relationships when things are at their worst. Commitment does that. And the problem is that when times get tough, we've been taught to bail. And I'm telling you that today that I want to challenge you from Scripture because I believe that God has called us to form our relationships on the foundation of commitment which means that for better or for worse, till death do us part, that I'm in this till the very end. So how do we do that? I'm going to give you four principles today from the Song of Songs on how we're going to do that, okay? And again, these passages that we're going to read are very poetic, and so what I'm going to offer as we go through them is a little bit of commentary on them, okay? Because they're difficult to understand them without understanding the context and the culture of the day, so I'll, I'll offer that, okay? And, and so with these guys, we've watched their love grow, and uh, here we are in the last chapter, and we find that as, as we pick up what we're going to read, their friends are actually speaking, and they say... In Song of Songs 8, verse 5, he says, they say to him, who is this coming up from the desert, leaning on her lover? Now, what you're seeing here is really a great testimony when you understand the original language of the relationship. What they're saying here is that they're, they're looking at her leaning on her husband, and they don't even recognize her because she's gone through so much transition since she got into the relationship with him. They're saying, look at how beautiful she is. Look at how confident she is. Look at how she has developed. How amazing. Because it's the idea that this marriage has brought out the best in her, right? And that she's been transformed into a woman that she never was before. And so they're admiring this journey that the couple has taken together. And he can, she continues on and she says, beloved, under the apple tree I roused you. Now this is essentially speaking about their intimacy, about their, their private moments. And, and it isn't that they were actually under the apple tree. It's just that apple trees were a reference to a place of passion for them. And what she's saying is that, that she's in this place of passion for him, that she aroused him, right? That it wasn't out in public underneath a tree, okay? And so it continues on and says, there your mother conceived you, there she was in labor, Uh, there she who was in labor gave you birth. Now what she's not saying is that she's underneath this apple tree arousing him and that mom is nearby, that's gross, okay? That's not what she's saying, all right? Because that, that would be disgusting. What she's saying is that in the place of passion, in the moments where they are most vulnerable, she realizes in that moment more than ever that from the moment of conception and birth that he was destined to be hers. And she was destined to be his. She was convinced of this destiny to be together, right? And in those moments of passion, there's so much security, there's so much strength in the relationship now that she knows this is what God had intended for her. His plan was for them to be together. And because of this, she says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Now, she's not talking about the er, 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 er seal. <laughs> Just in case you were confused. Thank you. 
<laughs> I wasn't even really trying. I didn't even commit to the role, really, you know. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> this seal that she's speaking of is, is kind of like, it's from that time period when they would purchase things to show ownership of something. They would put their seal or their signet on it. You knew who it belonged to, what family it belonged to because of the seal that was placed upon it. And so she's saying, I want to be identified with you. Not that he necessarily owned her, but she wanted people to know that she belonged to him and he belonged to her. She said, I want to be connected with you. And she shows how intensely serious she is about it. By the next verse, she says, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy, unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. She's saying, I'm so convinced of this love, this passion that we share, this relationship that God has intended or destined for us to have. Not only do I desire your seal upon my life, but it's strong enough that I'm telling you nothing but death can separate us. So in the Hebrew culture, they understood that principle, right? They, they had this weird tradition at the end of, of the wedding ceremony where they would, after they left the altar, they would walk out to a place and they would slaughter an animal and hack it to pieces. And then they would grab hand in hand and then they would walk right in between that and that animal that is laying, the carcass that was scattered around them. And they would walk in between it and they would say, let this happen to us should we ever part this relationship. Should this be our destiny, should we ever part. I would say that's serious. Can you imagine that scene? Like the flower girls like passed out on the floor and there's somebody screaming over here and there's another guy crying in a fetal position. If we were to do that in, in today's wedding ceremonies, right? Are you all awake this morning? Do you need coffee? Because I've had like five cups. Wake up. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to hook everybody up with IVs when you come in in the morning. Coffees. So I want you to think about how far we've come from the wedding ceremony where we are at today. The culture in which we live doesn't even come close to lining up with that level of commitment that they were making, that covenant that they were making, right? So I would say the first principle today that we need to learn is that lasting love is possessive. Lasting love is possessive. If you're going to have a relationship that stands the test of time, you have to have that sense that God destined you to be together. Even if you're currently questioning that fact. Even if you're, the relationship is difficult right now, if you're married, it means you've made a covenant. For better or for worse, we're in this till the end. You're destined to be together. And so it may not be great right now in your marriage. It's not perfect. You've got stuff you need to work on. But we've got to get to a place where we say, I want to be their possession. They are mine and I am theirs. We're going to work this out. We're, we're going to do it. That only death would separate us that you were made for me. Shanda and I have, in our relationship, we have completely taken divorce off the table. We did that before we got married, and we decided it, and we, just re, we decide it all the time, not because we want to talk about it, but we remind each other, this is not a place that we're going to go, especially when things are heated, especially when things are difficult, when, we're, when there's, there's a fight brewing at the house. That's not on the table. We don't even talk about it because it's not an option for us. It made our marriage a place of security. It made our marriage a place of comfort because we were able to look at each other and say, no matter how difficult this is, we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it because there is no end to us. There's just forward. And do we want to walk forward being miserable? No, we don't. And so we're going to work on that relationship. And I know that no matter what mistake I make, because goodness knows I make them, and I'm going to make more, believe that, it's my wife. 
that, that she's in it for the long haul and that she's going to forgive me. She's going to have grace for me. There's nothing that can happen in our marriage, not even infidelity, that would lead us to divorce. Now, that whole till death do us part may come a little quicker for me if I ever cheated on Shanda, and she promises me that. I will cut you. I will straight, I will kill you. <laughs> She's committed. She's committed till death do us part. So I, I say we, we need to have that kind of passion in our relationships, right? That we, that we have this possessive love that says there's nobody else for me. And there's nobody else for me because Shanda's the one for me. She, she's the one for me. I want to be associated with her. I want people to know about our love. I want people to know that I am hers and that she is mine. And that's what God has called us to have, a committed relationship that is possessive. The song continues on, and she says, Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. She's saying, No storm, no trial, no tribulation. There's nothing that, I, that can come my way. There's no man who can talk sweeter to me. There's no amount of money that can come my way that will separate us or divide this relationship. She even confirms that no amount of money can come her way because she says, If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. What she's saying is that somebody would offer money for her to get out of the relationship that she wouldn't even consider it. And i got to be honest, if you came up to me and said, look, I'll give you $10,000 to get out of your relationship with Shanda, I would laugh at you because she's worth way more than that to me. She's, she, she is wonderful. She is worth a, a lifetime of $10,000, like over and over. Now, you offer me $10 million, we may have to have a conversation. I'm just, just, I'm, I'm just kidding, babe. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am in trouble. You're right. <laughs> but I think sometimes we have these conditions, you know, that, that in our hearts that if something better comes along or if this trial happens in our relationship, that it could be the end of the relationship. So we live with this conditional perspective. I heard a, a story of a, of a husband and wife. The, the wife called her husband and she said, baby, I, I just won the lottery. She said, pack your bags. He said, should I pack for warm or cold weather? She said, it doesn't matter. Just as long as you're gone when I get home, that'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> we have this weird perspective of our outs. We have conditions. You know? And when I do premarital counseling, I, I've considered looking at them and saying, okay, so what is it? You're getting ready to say in your vows, like I'll let them customize their vows and say, till death do us part in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. And it's like, all right, so, so what are your clauses, though? What are the conditions upon which you would get a divorce. And a lot of times they'll say, well, infidelity. It's like, all right, so we're going to include those in the wedding vows, right? So in sickness and in health, for better or worse, unless you cheat on me, till death do us part. Or is it, where, where is that line? Is it until she becomes a stripper? Or is it until, you know, you're completely broke? Or is it, is it until what? what? What are your conditions? Because they need to be included in your covenant, they need to be included in your vows to each other so you understand what those conditions are. If it isn't until death do us part, what is it? So the second principle that I would say that we need to learn is that lasting love is preserving. Lasting love preserves the relationship through the best and the worst. To all of you singles out there who are young and in love or maybe you've just recently been married, let me tell you something, the worst is coming. If you have not faced the worst, if you think you are currently at the worst or have dealt with the worst, the worst is yet to come. And all the merry folks said, amen. amen. The worst is, is yet to come. 
The truth is that we've all gone through something as married people, and if you haven't gone through something, you're going to. You will be faced with a difficult choice about whether you will do the work to save the relationship or whether you're going to bail. And every marriage faces that choice. Your perspective on commitment, though, will be the difference maker. You'll preserve the relationship. You'll fight for that relationship if you're committed. Because I think we've shifted from a relationship where we are committed to love, honor, and cherish, and give up our rights. And we've shifted to this convenient relationship, right? We've shifted to one that says, as long as my needs are met, I'm great. As, if someone better comes along, I'm out. Or you are disposable because of this thing that you've done. The kind of lasting love that God wants us to have will fight for the relationship. It's preserving So back to our notes, here we see her brothers are speaking again, and they said, we have a young sister, and her breasts are not yet grown. That's a graphic way of saying that their younger sister is like 10 or 11, okay? That she's not a teenager yet, all right? Don't know why they chose to say it that way. They could have just said, she's 10. (laughs) Anyway. They go on and they say, what shall we do for our sister for the day she is spoken for? They're posing a question. We've got this sister, and we want to prepare her in a godly way for her relationship. So how do we do that? And essentially, they ask the question. They're like, how do we protect her to make sure that she is given away in a marriage, uh, in marriage that is done in an honorable way? And then they, they actually answer their own question. And for all of us, Raising kids, here's the standard that we need to learn. They say, if she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. I thought they were digging a little harder on her when they said she was a wall because she had no breast. That's, that's not, when you look at it, that's not, that's not what they're saying. They said, if she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. Now, none of that makes sense unless you understand the culture, okay? So what are they saying, if she is a wall? If she's a wall, she protects herself by having standards and by having barriers. Like, you know, she's, when a guy comes to her and approaches her and, and they're trying to go a little further, she's like, look, if you like this, you need to put a ring on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's got some standards. She's got some standards in her life. And they say that if she has these standards in her life, these barriers in her life, then they say, we will give her silver. Now, silver was like a dowry for her, for her and that was given for the bride. And so he says, we're going to bless her Because she's kept herself pure. Because she has these standards in her life. She's not running around with a bunch of guys. If she exhibits self-control, then she's at the point they know she's ready to be married. They're ready to bless her in that marriage. On the flip side of that, they say that if she's like a door, like, you know, if she's letting guys come and go and out of her house or out of her bedroom to be more explicit, then she's not ready for commitment. She's not ready for that, so they're going to lock her in a cedar box until she thinks about what she's done. Okay, that's what that says there. No, it's not, it's not that graphic. They're saying she still needs to be, she still needs a time of preparation. She's not ready. She's not ready to be released or, or to be released into a relationship. And they say this because they know that the third thing we need to learn that lasting love is protective. Lasting love is protective. Her brothers are trying to figure a way to protect her as she's growing up. And honestly, I think that, that we need to be on guard. My plea to all parents, to all friends, as you look around this congregation, as you look around your community, even look around your family, and you see people that are single, you see them th- during their preparation time, my plea for you is to help protect those singles by giving them warnings. Look, if you've made mistakes in your relationships, share those with them. 
That's my plea to you as the church, that you could, could talk to them about what's going on, that you could say danger and wave some red flags, that you could be like the brothers in here, that you could help protect, because we need to protect them in their search for that special someone. Now, I would say as a dad, I've got a little girl that I want to protect when she's old enough to actually go out on dates. Now, she got little boyfriends now, and, but, but I'm also concerned about my boys as well. These girls are very aggressive nowadays, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm very concerned about them, and when they get to the point where they're going to want to borrow the keys and go out, like, I'm going to bring those kids in, and I'm going to give them a talking to. Like, I'm sadistically waiting on the day that I get to have that talk with those kids. Tell me about your mom and dad. What do you do for a living? When are you going to have them back? Because there needs to be a time on it. You know what I'm saying? You don't just get to go out for the evening. Like, what time will you be back? And if you're smart, you'll be here five minutes prior to the time you tell me you're going to be here. You ever want to go out with my kid again? I want to protect them. I want to protect them. I want to teach them about barriers. I want to teach them about standards in their life. So what's tragic to me, though, is that the same type of protection that we would offer to our kids, we don't have in our marriage relationships. The way that you feel about your kids, parents, if you feel that strongly about your kids like I do, like I am ready to go. I want to meet these kids. I want to shake them up a bit. Do you know Jesus? Tell me, when's the last time you prayed? That we don't take that same kind of attitude to protect our marriages. We need to really be looking out for our spouse. We need to be protective. And if you're going to have a lasting love, then we have to protect that relationship. There's a lot of things that come with that. There's a few things that Shanda and I do in our relationship to protect it on a regular basis. Look, my phone is not locked with a passcode that she doesn't know. She's, she has access to it anytime. I, without hesitation, hand it over to her because I've got nothing to hide. In fact, I'm thankful that she asks. A lot of you guys think that that's intrusive, but I think that's inclusive. I, I think it's better for, her, for me to have that comfort level to hand her my phone. Look at my text messages, look at my emails, look at my Facebook. It doesn't matter. This is not an insecurity thing. This is a security thing. This is a, hey, look at all this stuff. Look, is there something I need to know? Because I'm a guy. I'm stupid sometimes. I'm just being honest with you. I don't quite understand the advances of a woman, and there may be something in there that my wife could catch and say, hey, there's, this is dangerous, and I'd go, you're right, let's handle that. Let's deal with it. That's security between us. We protect our relationship that way. In fact, if I have conversations with women at all through text message or Facebook, I make sure I show them to my wife so that she is included on them, and she's aware of them. I'm, I want her to know. Hey, babe, there's something going on here. In fact, in my personal life, to protect my marriage, look, some of you are thinking, all right, well, how do I do that? Do I not have a relationship or a friendship with the opposite sex? Well, well we don't. My best friends are guys because she's my only girlfriend. She's the only one that I want to share my emotions with. She's the only one that I want to share my feelings with. Because to do, do so otherwise, to find another woman that I'm going to share those feelings with does a disservice to our marriage and has potential to destroy our marriage. If we want to protect our marriages, we, we've got to be vigilant about these things. And so she doesn't have guy friends and I don't have girlfriends. We've got couples that we hang out with together, but I'm never alone hanging out with one of those girls and she's never alone hanging out with one of those guys. Why open the door? Why give the enemy a place? Even if they aren't doing anything, why would we open ourselves to such doubt and insecurity? There's no peace in that. So we guard that unity. We guard that peace 
And some of you think, well, how do I do this? How do I translate this? You know, I, I can understand that, Aaron, but, you know, I work at a job, and there's women there, and I have to, I'm a guy, and I have to be in relationship with them. Yeah, but you don't have to go on break with them. You don't have to go on lunch with them. Look, I've been in situations before. I'm just going to tip my mitt and show you. I've been in relationships before when I was out in the, in the workforce, and there was a relationship that was a little too flirty for me. And so I told my wife, I said, don't ever let me be alone with this person. This is... This has gotten a little too friendly for my comfort. And I told a friend, hold me accountable. You need to be asking me questions because I'm a guy. I'll do stupid things and I don't want to do anything stupid. And so I, I said, this relationship is too, too flirty or it's too, too much. It got so bad to the point that I actually had to bring that girl into an office and say, listen, I'm married and I want to stay that way and I need you to chill out. And I had no idea that those feelings were confirmed. And she had the gall to look at me and said, well, that's fine, but when you're done with your wife, just let me know. Oh, I was right. Look, if you let those things grow in the dark, that, if you let them stay in the dark, if you don't talk to your spouse about them, if you don't deal with them, they will grow there in the darkness. But whatever you bring into the light will be exposed. Your marriage is worth the protection. Do it. Do it. Shanda and I are uniquely made for each other in a way. And when we begin to have other relationships with other people, we're headed for trouble, and you're the same way. You are the same way. God's way is weird. The way that I'm talking to you about this, you're going, that's weird. That is countercultural. That'll never work. That's crazy. You're right. It is. But guess who's still married? This guy. And I want to stay that way. Amen? I want to stay that way. God's way is the best way. You won't fall victim to the stuff that snares so many if you're willing to fight for it and have a lasting love that is protected. She continues on and responds now and says, I'm a wall and my breasts are like towers. Incidentally, she's not bragging here uh, at all. What she's saying is that her breasts are out of reach. In other words, that she's kept herself, that she has kept herself pure. She has had standards in her life. And because of this, she says, thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. And this is honestly the overarching goal of this series. Yes, we want to be the shiny for people, but, but the blessing or the benefit from having relationships that honor God is to be the one in which your spouse finds contentment. That word in the Hebrew is actually the word shalom. Do you know what shalom is? It's peace. It's peace. And we're not talking about the peace that we can give each other. We're talking about God's peace. We're talking about a peace that the world chases after but can't even find. They're looking for it in every way, shape, and form, and they cannot find God's peace. It's what they crave. And the Bible says that your relationship with your spouse ought to be a place where you have peace. And because of that, you have this, in, this, this uh, spouse where there should be safety, there should be love, this unending commitment. And when you have all those things, you have this incredible peace. Even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of the worst, you can have peace. And this is God's peace. This is the peace that passes all understanding. This is what Philippians describes. It's the peace that people will look at you and say, how in the world are you okay with what's going on? I have God's peace. I have God's peace. And he is meant for your relationship to be a source of that peace when you do it his way. And that's what God wants for us, for every single one of us, and I believe that it's possible. And so this is the last principle that we need to learn, that lasting love is peaceful. 
Lasting love is peaceful. As we wrap up with the last four verses that I'm going to share here, there's a few thoughts that will pull this entire series together. She says, Solomon had a vineyard at Belhaman. He entrusted the vineyard to two caretakers. If you were here in the beginning of this series, you'll remember that she was talking about having to work in the vineyards, that her skin was dark, right? And this come to find out years later that the vineyard that her brothers had forced her to work in, remember she said she felt like it was abuse, she felt like they had taken advantage of her, she didn't want to be there, she didn't want to go, there was her favorite soap opera was on, or she'd rather be shopping, or there was, there was something else she wanted to do, there was a party to go to, or there were some boys that were out in another pasture that were smoking a pipe that she wanted, to, I don't know, whatever they do. There was somewhere else she would have rather been, and she expressed that. And come to find out that the the vineyard that she had been forced to work in by her brothers was Solomon's. It was Solomon's vineyard. And now we see this, this whole big picture that when she looks back, she's like, whoa. The bigger picture here is that I was forced to do something I did not want to do, and yet she submitted to it. And in doing so, she found the love of her life. Her brothers were no dummies. They knew whose vineyard it was, and they knew that taking her there would put her right in front of Solomon. Solomon was known for walking around his vineyards. They knew. They put her right there. And they even paid to do it. The next verse, she says, each one was to bring a thousand shekels of silver for its fruit. In order to protect her, in order to position her, it cost them something. They paid a thousand shekels to even work in the vineyard and they took her along. And now she's become fully aware of this whole beautiful picture of all that it cost someone else to get her there. That when she submitted herself to the authority in her life, when she went about doing what she was told to do, that that's when God blessed her with the love of her life with Solomon. And I would say for us, it's in those moments of submission, when we submit to doing things God's way, that God will bless us. Look, we've been talking for the last six weeks about godly principles. And some of them sound crazy to you, some of them sound old-fashioned to you, some of them sound difficult, and guess what? They're all impossible without God. But when we submit to His way, that's when we get to look back and go, man, that was tough. There was preparation, the way that I went through dating, the way that we did all of this was difficult because it's countercultural to the way that the rest of the world does things. And yet, I see that the greatest blessing came because I submitted myself. She continues on and says, my very own vineyard is now at my disposal. What she's saying is, is because of this, because I submitted to it, I now have something to give. I now have something beautiful to offer because of what the Lord has done in my life because of the protection, because of the, the humility, the humble submission that she's made to the people and to the principles in her life. She continues and says, the thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and 200 are, the, are for those who take of its fruit. Look, there's a blessing and a benefit for the brothers who kept her safe and she didn't appreciate it at the time. She felt it wasn't fair to her. 
But now looking back, she's thankful for it. And I would say to you parents that your kids, you know, as you raise your kids and as you protect them and put them in environments or let them go here or don't let them go there, as you place restrictions on them, that they are not going to be thankful for it at the time. It will be difficult. They will do it kicking and screaming. But hopefully the day that they get to the altar, they will look back and say, thank you. You made some sacrifices and you made me do something I didn't want to do, but now I see what it was all for that they will bless you as they look back. Look, you might be in a place where people are looking out for you, restricting you, maybe even warning you. And it isn't a comfortable place to be, but let me tell you, you will look back one of two ways on this time in your life. You will look back and say, and be thankful for the time that you submitted to what they were trying to teach you and how they were trying to help you, or you will look back and regret. You will look back one of two ways with thankfulness or regret. You choose. You choose. And one day there will be beautiful benefits of that protection. And if you don't have anyone in your life to protect you, look, that's what this church is for. Get connected. Get committed here. We'll surround you with love. You don't have family that's nearby. We'll be your family. Look, I'm sure there's some guys in here that are willing to rough up anybody that'll mess with you. You know what I'm saying? Get connected. Solomon continues on as he says, Oh, you who sit in the gardens, my companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear it. Look, and this is kind of a funny thing because Solomon is at work. And what he's doing at work is he's, he's actually talking and bragging about his wife. He is letting everybody know, hey, even when I'm away from her, I'm thinking about her. When I'm apart from her, my heart so, just longs for her. And he is letting everybody know on the job site that's how he feels. Look, you can tell there's somebody that's, that's different. When they're on the job site or they're in the locker room or they're, they're out and about, who, who, when they're apart from their spouse, what are they talking about? Are they talking about their spouse? Do they long to be with them? Are they praising them? There's something different about their relationship. And Solomon is putting that on display. And then she responds. She says, hurry, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. She's saying, you might be old, but I think you're fine. And if you don't understand what the mountains mean, we talked about it in week three. Use your imagination or go back and listen to it. It'll explain what the mountains are all about. But even in our old age, we're going to enjoy our marriage. And so we spent the past six weeks talking about relationships. And those of you who are in relationships that were in turmoil or headed towards divorce, when we began, I asked you to put a pause on all that stuff. I said, if you're getting ready to file divorce paperwork, pause, put that on pause, wait, let God do a work in your lives. And hopefully you have some things or you've heard some things that have impacted your heart and your lives these past six weeks. And I want to give you two things that I hope that you have gotten out of the whole thing. And then I'm going to be quick and I'm going to close. The first thing that I hope that you've heard is that love is a choice. Love is a choice. It's not a ditch. You can't fall into it. It's not a tree. You can't fall out of it. Love is a choice. Colossians 3.14 says, And over all these virtues, put on love. In other words, it's something you must choose to do, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is not giving people what they deserve. It is giving them what they need. Remember, your choices have to lead and your feelings will follow. If you're going to have a marriage that stands the test of time, you're going to have to wake up every morning and make the choice to be committed to an imperfect person, to love them until death do you part. The problem with many of us is that we have deep wounds that have been caused by that marriage relationship or past relationships. 
Maybe you're emotionally scarred, and it's going to take a while for God to heal you, but I promise you that you won't find healing without him. You need him in your life. The key to making all of this work is God's love. So my hope is that you remember the second thing, that being loved gives us the capacity to love. All the things that we've asked you to do are impossible on your own or out of your own effort. You have to have God's power and his presence in your life. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. The way that we are to love each other is simply in response to the way that he's loved us. And so the only reason you can love in a supernatural kind of God way, these impossible ways that we've talked about, is because you've been impacted by God's love in the first place. And I want to read this as I close, and I know that this is also my prayer for you. Know this. It's Ephesians 3, 17 through 18. He says, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your heart. Living within you as you trust him, may your roots go deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel, some of you haven't been able to feel in a really long time. My prayer is that you can feel and understand how long wide, deep, and high his love really is and experience this love for yourself. I believe that this this is the key to life and to relationships and that is to experience God's love for yourself. If you'll let him into your life, he is the one who heals hearts. He's the one who mends relationships. He's the one who gives peace. He's the one who gives joy, hope, and the ability to love. He is the embodiment of love. And if we allow him into our lives, we will develop relationships that others look at and desire to have for themselves. They'll look at the way that we love one another and we can let that be a testament to the goodness of God's love. Let's pray. I would say that in this this room, there may be people here whose hearts have been wounded and they have relationships that are in trouble. And the only hope that we have, I'm going to tell you, the only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. Thank God that nothing is impossible for him. (laughs) But in order to get him involved means that he has to be in charge. See, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And maybe you've been a part of a religious thing. Like you've gone to church for a long time, but Jesus has never really been in charge. Or maybe today is the first time you've ever come to church and heard what God wants to do in your life. Let me tell you that the Bible says that God wants to come into your life and make everything brand new. No matter how many mistakes you've made or how long you've been making those mistakes, the past is the past, and you can now be the person that you've always wanted to be. You can be brand new, forgiven. And if that's you, I want you to know that that beginning a relationship with God begins with prayer. And in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer That'll help you begin that journey. If you would say, Aaron, that's me. I need to begin that journey. No matter where you're at, no matter how many times you've had to start over on this journey, if that's you, would you slip your hand in the air and say, Aaron, that's me. Count me in on this prayer. I need to be counted in. Thank you. Appreciate your honesty. I want you to know it begins this way with this prayer, but it continues with you making the choice every day to follow after Jesus. And if you don't know how to do that, you need to make sure you get back here next week. You need to make sure you get connected with some people in this church, in this community, because they will help you live your life with Jesus. But let's begin with the prayer. I'm going to give you the words. You can say them in your heart. Say, Jesus, I need your help. I've made mistakes. I know I've sinned. Please forgive me. 
Make me brand new. Heal my heart. Give me your Holy Spirit. Teach me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing just that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, Father, I lift up this whole church to you. Everybody underneath the sound of my voice, Lord, that includes those that are gathered here today and those that are listening by the podcast. Father, I pray, God, that you would give us, your people, a lasting love for one another that is possessive, Lord, where we say that she is mine and I am hers. Father, that our love would would flow and overflow in such a way that we want people to know that we are associated with each other. We would want to be found with each other. Help us have love that causes us to belong only to one another and in a way that is preserving and protective to the relationship. And as a result, let us have relationships that are full of your peace. We can't can't have or do these things without you, God. We need you. We need you. Do this incredible thing among us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're gonna take just a moment to reflect and I would say that some of you in this room, I maybe hurt you a little bit talking about some of the things today. Some of you need to go home and you need to have difficult conversations with your spouse, but those conversations are necessary. The things you need to bring out out of the darkness and into the light so that they can die there, so that you can protect your relationship. And some of you need to commit to do that. And I understand those are very sensitive things, but I would challenge you to write it down and say, I'm going to do it. Grab your connection card out of the front seat. Write it down. Commit to doing it. Commit to the change. Some of you need to say that that I'm going to commit to submitting to the authority that God has placed in my life and to the principles that you're teaching, whether you're married or whether you're single, the things that we've talked about. Say, I need to commit to these things and I need to live by them because I realize that there is a blessing that comes that I can't even understand, but I'll be able to look back on and say thank you. Some of you need to commit to that. Others of you have lost your way. Today's description used to be your marriage, or maybe it's the marriage that you just want to have, and you've never had it. And today you're going to commit to fight for it, to fight for your marriage. Write it down. Take a moment. Think, how am I going to respond to this today? It's up to us to determine that. Take a moment. We'll close the service.